Hello and welcome back to the We Need Therapy podcast. On this week's episode, we interview our friend Ree. Ree wrote a series of articles about the increased uptake of egg freezing in women in their 20s and 30s. We have linked Ree's articles in our episode notes and we'd encourage you to check them out. As always, please like, review and subscribe wherever you get good podcasts. Enjoy the show. Are you very excited? <laughs> so every time we have a guest on, Josh Josh has uh, a few phrases that he likes to say, and I. <laughs> well, I, I'm nervous today. Are oh, you? Yeah, <laughs> we've got a real life, hands. proper journalist on board. It's very exciting. Like this crackpot wannabe influencer and his gay best friend. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the influencer. <laughs> I'm nervous. You guys are the ones that know how to use the gear. You're going to show me up. Oh, yeah. Well, just just our power play. That's why we hire out this room. <laughs> we bring a guest in and mm. we like, look like we know what we're doing, but we've got no fucking idea. Absolutely. Oh, good. We're all at home then. Smoke and mirrors here. Perfect. Welcome to the show, Ree. Thank you. Are we going by Ree, Rhiannon? Ree's good. Ree's good. Yeah. Okay, a bit more casual. I yeah, like it. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah, turn it down. I never get to today. do this, so <laughs> let's go with Ray. Yeah, we're flipping the tables, actually. Totally. Usually you're the one in the interviewer seat. Yes. Now we're the ones in the That's air. why I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> 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 this is actually the first time I've met Ray sober. <laughs> Uh-oh. I've known you for what? Maybe probably five or six years. Yeah. We share a best friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that best friend prefers me or Ray, but oh, it's I not do. a competition. <laughs> Ooh. And so what's with all the drinking problems in your personal life? Yeah, we need therapy, right? Oh, you've come to the right place, babe. Do you want to talk about your employer? Is that okay? Yeah, sure. I'm a journalist with the ABC. So I work for the 7.30 Report, um, which is the ABC's sort of flagship nightly current affairs program. Yes, it is. And we're super excited to have you. I've watched that show for years. So I was actually looking last night at some of your clips and yeah, I was Stalker. Well, I was a bit <laughs> starstruck by the professionalism. So uh, oh, thank you. We don't normally have that with the guests that come on here. They're really quite sloppy. So. <laughs> <laughs> so Smoke Reece and mirrors, remember? Yeah. <laughs> Reese had a very um, booming media career. And I think it started, what, three years ago when you actually interviewed me in the ABC? <laughs> Yeah, that was about the time it really took off, actually, Josh. Yeah, Was that that failed erection pill program? (laughs) I think I got some advertising for that, and I know that you did a few commercials, so... Pro bono work. Oh, that's terrible. Terrible. (laughs) The ABC wouldn't promote that. Maybe on iView or something like that. Late night. So, booming career. I mean, talk, talk about that. Josh's words, not mine. Young media or young journalist of the year. No, 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 nothing that impressive. Oh, you're not um, young anymore. You're all of 30, <laughs> yeah, aren't That's you? exactly right. I don't know about booming career, but I've certainly really enjoyed working for the ABC. It's actually been eight years this year since I started with them. Wow. Out in the sticks in Kalgoorlie. That was where my first job was. I survived that. Um, and then I went to Hobart for a couple of years, then up to Broome, thawed out from Tassie and then came back to Perth. And then I was a state political reporter for a couple of years. And then I got this job with 7.30. So it's been Whoa, quite the journey. Hey, you get around, don't you? How long have you <laughs> been with 7.30 report? Um, you've been just, working your way up all the way. I started with 7.30 just over a year ago. 
Okay. Yeah, which was quite a change from state politics, like the daily grind, and that was all through COVID, so daily press conferences, mm. daily news stories, and then 7.30 is obviously sort of a longer form TV journalism, so a bit more time. And how does that work? Because you're based here in Perth, or are you moving between here and the Eastern States? Yeah, I'm based in Perth, So, and there's one 7.30 reporter for Western Australia, which is me. So, yeah, I do get to tra- travel a little bit sometimes to get out into regional parts of the state to cover stories from different parts of WA, but yeah, every now and then I've gone over east for stories as well. Well, you actually grew up in the country. If we can call Bunbury the country, yes. I like to I like to claim it, say I'm a country girl. Yeah, anywhere past <laughs> South Perth is the country for yeah, me. Yeah, sure, let's go with that. <laughs> I'm I'm from Cape Are you? Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. neighbours. And I went to school in Bustleton. My mum works in Bunbury. So. Why did you go to school in Bustleton? Because we lived in we lived in Pembroke Grove Beach and I think the the bus, I don't know what, oh, I went to McKillop Catholic yeah. and my parents wanted us to go to a, a private school and probably couldn't afford anything in Bunbury. So oh, yeah, boy, baby, Bunbury Catholic money. College. Oh, you went to BCC. We're yes. closer than we think. Uh, yeah, totally. Wow. <laughs> God has brought you two together. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sisters. <laughs> Wait, isn't Not- this episode about Catholicism and the um, uprise of... Keep going. Let's see if you can finish that sentence. He's really good at bullshitting. But <laughs> what's going to uprise against Catholicism besides the devil? Uh, the gays. <laughs> oh, I like that. Satire, satire. No, we have a very, um, a very, sorry. So this, is, this is Josh's little tagline. <laughs> Segwaying into what we're actually doing today. Yeah, egg freezing. Do you guys know much about it? Well, I read a few articles last night, but no is the answer. We had an episode a few weeks ago around surrogacy and gay dads. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And I must say, I asked questions about egg freezing and sperm harvesting. Mm. Mm. There was a really good little audio bite from Josh that will live... (laughs) That will live down. Uh, when you die, I'm going to play that at your funeral. Um, he was talking about when the, the male does does his um, deposit for the process for IVF. And Josh asked if he went under a general anaesthetic for the, um, the harvesting. <laughs> <laughs> we ask the big questions on this show. No, well, it's a very different experience for a woman when she has to um, go through an egg freezing process because it's basically – like quite an invasive procedure, actually. So, mm. yeah, you wouldn't... I think that's what... It, you had that in your head. Yeah. So you knew the yeah. idea, you just got the genders confused. Yeah, yeah. totally. Well, I don't Easy see mistake. gender, so... Well, there you go. Being yeah. all about equal rights. It's really good at, like, a non-binary convention, but apart from that, it's quite awkward. <laughs> <laughs> so Very tell good. us, um, you have run a series <clears throat> of stories around egg freezing and yeah. idea. What brought that about? Actually, it was a, a couple of girlfriends were talking to me about the issue and I just started looking into it. It was something that I'd been quite interested in for a while and maybe that's to do with my age. I'm 29 and that's around the time, you know. So basically once you're 30, you start to think a bit more about your fertility and your egg count. Your number of eggs start to decline after 30 and really rapidly drop off a cliff basically after 35. So I was thinking about that a bit and also starting to see some targeted ads in your Instagram feed. So, you know, things that are quite emotionally targeted, like focus on your career, go traveling, freeze your eggs. And that sounds like, okay, yeah, maybe I should look into that. But very expensive process comes with no guarantees. Mm. So I was quite interested in that concept and especially targeting younger women because the women in these ads looked like, my age. And Mm -hmm. so I'm like, should I be thinking about this? What are the success rates? Why does it cost so much money? Is it worth it? 
yeah, and then that opened up a whole bunch more questions and I learned a lot about fertility as well. So it was a very interesting process. So going back to being a journalist and it sounds like this idea just came organically through your private life. Mm. How long does that process take from having an idea about wanting to explore a topic to eventually delivering a few articles and videos about it? Yeah, well, it depends on the topic. Um, but say, so you've got the idea in the first place or someone comes to you with a story idea or a piece of information and then you start investigating more and then you're, then I have to pitch it to my bosses and they'll decide whether or not it's something that we want to run as a story. And then it's a matter of lining up interviews with people, doing a lot of filming. So I think that that one maybe took four to six weeks from the first moment that I pitched it, yeah, to bring to to the audience. Yeah, and so reproductive biology and kind of your part in that process, that was something that wasn't on your radar before and that's the advertising kind of spurred it within you? Yeah, exactly. It was, as I say, a very interesting topic and something that the more I spoke to girlfriends about, guy friends about, I've realised that it was a topic that lots of people were interested in. And that's when you know that you're onto a good thing because people mm. want to know more. So yeah, it was quite confronting to realise how little I knew about my own fertility as well. Like, did you guys know that a female, this might be really stupid that I didn't know this, but like female is born with like a million to two million eggs. And then you start losing the eggs basically the day you're born. Mm. And then you just, and then it sort of drops off a cliff after 35 and you're into this zone of really having to think about freezing your eggs or whether you should be looking at other options or whether a family's for you. So these really big questions. And like the other thing is that because of society, like societal changes, women are settling down. People are settling down a lot later in life. So that means that most women, well, it's 53% of women, I think, are now having their first child after the age of 30. Mm -hmm. That's a huge shift from what it used to be. Mm. Part of that is, as you mentioned, societal expectations and building that kind of nuclear family, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and then this this idea that we want to have it all as well. So, like, mm. it might take you until you're in your 30s to have built the career that you want and society also kind of expects you to have these days. But then suddenly you're being hit with these Instagram ads or social media ads or people are asking you, when are you going to have a baby? And then you've got to really think about how you're going to go about that process. Have you met the right person yet? Yeah, well, having a very close network of female friends, some who are single, some who are not, these are the topics that we've discussed at length around mm. that societal pressure around, oh, do I focus on my career, really get myself to a level where I can make some good money? Do I have a family, settle down? Mm. Or the questions around people asking, oh, are you in a relationship yet? Innocent mm. questions like that just build that expectation around, oh, should I be thinking about X, Y, Z? Totally, mm. yeah. Like I turned 29 in April and it was around the time I was doing these egg freezing stories and I'd never really panicked about it all before. And then I just started to really think deeply about, like, is this something that I would be prepared to do? Should I be worried about this? But doing, and I'm sure we'll get to all of this, but like going through the process of speaking to a lot of professionals in this industry of fertility, I sort of landed on, no, I don't need to panic yet. 
And I think that that's an important thing for people to keep in mind because it's a huge decision to go down this egg freezing path. Like it is invasive. It costs thousands of dollars and there's no guarantees. So that's why I think that some of the advertising is a little bit emotionally manipulative. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've, I've read some of those articles that you've written and we will link them in the, the show note for this episode. But there is a conversation to be had around the ethical nature of the advertisers promoting that, that type of service. Yeah. And there's a bit of a discrepancy between the medical not not bored, but mm. the people who are in the medical industry. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So I interviewed one doctor in particular here in Perth, and she was quite concerned about the rise and rise of the marketing to younger women and even some clinics partnering with social media influencers to essentially promote this service or medical procedure. And she said, because I think young women are coming to me with these expectations that it guarantees a baby for one. And she said, there's also some risks involved, even though it's a small chance, but there are risks involved. So you really have to go into the process with your eyes wide open. And she said that she was actually turning more women away and saying, come back in a year, come back in two years. You don't need to do this right now. And I sort of really trusted what she was saying because basically that's her business. You know, mm. she could be she could be saying, yeah, let's freeze Ooh. your eggs, let's take more eggs. But yeah. she was she was saying, no, you don't have to worry about this right now. And you mentioned <clears throat> some of the risks associated with women in their, their 20s going through the hormones. Mm. And doing the, do we call it harvesting process or yeah, what do we call it? Egg extraction process. That's probably yeah. a little bit less crude. <laughs> I did read about some of the risks. Can you kind of talk to them now? Yeah. And, and again, I'm not, a, well, I should state that I'm not a medical professional. So obviously see a doctor if you're thinking about any of this, but it works like the start of the IVF process for a woman. So you inject yourself with hormones over a number of days to stimulate the ovaries before an egg extraction surgery takes place and you never know for sure how many eggs they're going to retrieve either. Basically, the more eggs you get, the better your chances of a baby down the track, but that also all depends on your age. So as part of that process, stimulation of the ovaries, sometimes in rare circumstances, you can have this thing called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, which is it's rare, but it can be quite serious. So this doctor was saying you have to think seriously about this procedure because you're electing this procedure and there are risks involved. So that's something that she was certainly warning about. Mm. And do you know if you have to go under it like a general anaesthetic when they do the collection process? Because I know there are a lot of complications going under a general or the risks of complications are much higher for going under a general, especially if you are an, you know, an older person. Mm. And, and I guess we use the word older like very um, tentatively here yeah. because when we talk about things like being older or geriatric, it's really a shift in expectations when we come to this population mm. because a geriatric pregnancy is probably one that, like for a, a woman, we wouldn't think would be geriatric. Do you know what yeah, that age yeah. actually is? For a geriatric pregnancy? I don't it's know. It's mid-30s, 35. Yeah, I think oh, it's right. 35, above 35, which is quite bizarre. Wow. because. I mean, Josh and I work in the health space. We think geriatric, you know, 70, 80, plus, 90. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden here, when you're dealing with pregnancy and conception, it's... That's crazy. It's insane, yeah. I had a friend actually go through the process and she came to me and said, I've just been labelled a geriatric mother. Oh, God. She was 36. 
<laughs> so. Yeah, and this is the other thing about the, the whole egg freezing process is it's this like there's a lot of catch-22 situations because the older you are, the less likely, you know, the fewer eggs they're probably likely to retrieve. Each egg retrieval cycle, they call it, that's the, basically the process of taking them out, can cost between six and $15,000. dollars mm the older you are, the fewer eggs they're going to get. So you might have to go through multiple cycles. So that's going into 30, 40 grand potentially. But then the younger you are, they might say, great, you're 30 or under 30. We're going to definitely get 15 eggs. That's going to give you an 80% chance of a baby in the future. But you're pretty unlikely to ever need to go back to use those eggs. So you have to be very comfortable and pretty privileged to be able to afford to just say, yeah, here's 10 grand. I'm going to put 10 eggs on ice. Maybe I'll use them. Maybe I won't. And so, there's a storage fee as well, right? Yeah, $500 a year, basically. Wow, so that's an expensive Netflix subscription. <laughs> yeah, totally. And all this to be able to afford a baby in the future that's going to cost you a whole yeah. lot of money one day too. <laughs> well, it's similar to like the idea around insurance, right? It's that fear around, oh, I might need this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And early days it did get um, labelled an insurance policy, but then there was some strong language urging people not to go down that path because it's not an insurance policy. There's no guarantees. But I think people still think of it that way. Like Mm. I'm putting them on ice. They're there when I need them, if I need them. Insurance policy. It's not. And that, that's a cost that the, the female is expected to pay, really, yeah. in this case, because there's a big divide between what the process that men go through and what females go through, because, you know, as a male, you can continue your career and you can birth children yeah. up until, what, your 50s, 60s, yeah, even totally. 70s. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was another really interesting debate that came out of this from some of the women I interviewed, that they were like, we should be getting some sort of government assistance to do this, particularly like I interviewed this AFLW player and she was saying she was 32, spent 11 and a half grand to put, I think it was 10 eggs on ice. And she said, I'm doing this because I need to keep, continue with my career. She was saying the AFL should be paying for this. Mm. And that's not without precedent because, like, particularly in the States, a lot of the big employers um, are offering egg freezing costs as, like, a work perk. Is that which right? is a really interesting concept. They yeah. do health insurance very differently over there, don't yeah. they? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. But, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think about that, like – the government sort of subsidising this egg freezing process for well, women. I, I think that particular example there with mm. the AFLW is a very concrete example yeah. of the discourse between men and yeah. women, right? Like, mm. for me, I'm in my late 20s. I'm never going to have to ever consider yeah. that option around having to spend that much money just for the potential to reproduce, right? I guess, like, like I've only just started to dip my toe into the pool of fertility from the female side. Mm. I've thought about the process a lot, being a gay man and knowing that a lot of my friends have gone through it to to have their kids through surrogate. But, yeah, I've never never expected a cost like this that would come out so acutely Mm. in that stage of your life where you're trying to generate wealth So and and kind of move through your career as well. Um, A lot of, I guess, the women that you've been interviewing – They've probably only been out of uni for between five and ten years, so mm. they're probably still, you know, climbing that ladder and generating that yeah. that income. So, yeah, that I guess I would need to think a little bit more deeply. Mm. But it, it's quite fascinating about the AFLW player mm. because I guess my first thought was was her argument based on the fact that she has to put her body in positions which are more physically dangerous than the average professional? Yeah, exactly. Mm. I guess for her, it's not an option to be pregnant and working at the same time. Exactly. So she's like, if I want to extend the life of my career and have a family one day, my best option is to freeze my eggs. Mm. Um, And so she thought the AFL should be stumping up some funds to help her. 
And there is some sort of discount subsidy that you can access in certain times, isn't there, for some women? So, yes, that's right. If you have a medical condition, that means that it's going to make it difficult for you to conceive. So, like endometriosis, for example, Mm -hmm. then you will qualify for a government subsidy to help you cover the costs of egg freezing. Do you know how much that subsidy is? Off the top of my head, I can't remember. I don't think it covers the full cost, though. I think I read in your article as well, Ray, that you were saying that the decision maker on if you get that subsidy was like the physician at the time. And, and is there a little bit of a grey area? So could the same person present to two different doctors and kind of receive the subsidy or not? Yes. Yeah, so I'm told that it can be a bit of a doctor lottery. So okay. um, one doctor might deem you to be medically eligible because you have a certain condition or egg count or your age, but another doctor wouldn't. So okay. that's, that's causing some issues as well for people because p- particularly doctors, because they're saying there's not enough um, clear medical indicators for what qualifies someone to, to receive a subsidy for this. Mm. And this whole process is relatively new, I suppose, in the medical world. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know how long IVF has been going on for, but it's it's probably within our lifetime or shortly before. Oh, it. yeah. So yeah. They're probably still developing a lot of the research around this. Yeah. And regulations as well. Oh, yeah, exactly. We, like the surrogacy thing, for example. But that's part of the reason that there's such bad data in this space as well. Like, it's hard to know the success rates for sure because egg freezing has taken off really in the last five years. And so most women that have frozen their eggs in that time haven't gone back to collect them and use them yet. So we don't know for sure what the success rates are really. I think something like one in 10 women at mm. the moment come back to use these eggs, which is pretty mind-blowing given how much you're paying for them. That is. But I suppose if you're that that one in 10, then you think it's worth its weight in gold, right? Yeah. And like that. And then also one woman, woman I interviewed, which was fascinating because she was 24 and decided to freeze her eggs said to me, because I was like, you're probably pretty unlikely to use these, right? And she was like, well, if I don't use them, then I've already won. That means I have a family. Mm. So wow. <laughs> the, the most fascinating facet of this discussion is that that advertising targeted at the young 20s. Yeah. Because from what I understand, the medical professionals as a whole, or on average, I mm. should say, are saying between 30 and up, you know, even maybe so 34, 35 yep. onwards, you mm-hmm. should be thinking about it. Yeah. But there are companies, as you said, that are targeting women in their 20s. Yeah. And and you mentioned that that partnership with the social media influencer. Mm. Um, has there been any backlash surrounding that or is it just kind of one and done and then the news cycle moved away? Yeah, there was a bit of backlash at the time about one particular social media influencer partnering with a particular IVF clinic. And that was because it raised a lot of questions about whether whether someone should be promoting essentially a medical procedure. And on the flip side of that, she sort of argued, I sent her some questions about that and she said, I think it's a good thing if women are thinking about their fertility and if this raises conversations and questions for people to start thinking earlier about what their fertility might be Mm. or any future family plans, that that's a good thing. But the doctor I interviewed who had those sort of concerns around marketing in this space said, that's a good thing. You know, information provision is good, but the line is where it's made to look really simple, straightforward or easy or glamorous even because Mm. it's just not. 
And there are some of those stories through your articles I read about women who were hoping to get more mm. eggs than, than was, you know, collected. And there was also ones that had side effects that made their lives, you know, quite uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, definitely. This woman in Sydney that I interviewed, she was 36. So got to that age where she's like, okay, haven't met anyone yet. I want to put some eggs on ice. She spent, I think it was around $15,000. They ex- told her that they were expecting to get 10 eggs, maybe even more. She ended up with five. So if you can remember that 15 eggs was going to give someone an 80% chance. She's 36 too. And after 35, the, the egg quality starts to decline. So to end up with five eggs on ice, mm. spending around 15 grand, it's a pretty you know, average result. She was trying to be quite positive about it still, but the whole process for her, because she got quite sick as well and Mm. and had to, um, you know, pause the medications for a time. She had to, you know, halt work for a few days. So to go through such a, you know, physically taxing process, emotionally taxing, it's a roller coaster. You're injecting yourself with all these hormones that are making you feel all of these things. And then you end up with a disappointing result too. It's um yeah, hmm. it's a bit of a bit of a roller coaster. It's a fine line between having this conversation, educating the masses around important areas like this, but also using fear mongering as a tactic for marketing. Totally, and, and I was really like I, I struggled walking that line as well because I also didn't want to scare people off looking at this as an option for them because it's such an individual choice, and you have to hope and trust that your medical professional is giving you good advice based on your age and your medical circumstances and everything. And for some people, egg freezing will be a great thing. And I heard some great success stories. They spent a lot of money, but they got a baby in the end. So I don't think women should be targeted with ads that make them unnecessarily worried about their fertility. But I think that we all should be having these conversations about fertility too, because we are living in this society where we're settling down later and not necessarily prepared for the complications that can come with trying, because our biology remains largely the same. Mm. And I don't know about you guys, but I said, as I said, I didn't know much about fertility. And basically you go through high school and your early twenties to, to late twenties, even really just thinking about how not to get pregnant. And then suddenly it's like, all right, when are you having a baby? (laughs) And that's really daunting. Because from an evolutionary standpoint, our bodies are designed to, or for females, they're designed to give birth around that 20 to 28 mark. Yep. Whereas, you know, our bodies haven't changed, but Mm. society expectations and whatnot have changed. Yeah. And Re, if you feel comfortable talking about your own kind of thought process, you graduated from uni what, about eight years ago, nine years ago now. And we've, we know about your career journey. You've been hopping around all through rural Australia and now <laughs> you've landed at the 730 spot, which is amazing. So what's your own thought process? Like where are you in your life? And when you were considering about this, this egg collection process, what were the thoughts going through your head? Because I suppose it's, it's kind of almost too close to home for yourself. Yeah, it was very close to home because of my age. For me, I landed on, I don't need to panic at the moment, but perhaps next year when I'm 30, I'll get an AMH test, which is like a blood test where you can check your egg count. And then from there, perhaps I'd start thinking about a plan for whether egg freezing is in my future. But it's not something I'd look at doing until around 32, 33 Hopefully it doesn't get to that. Mm. And also 
it's a very privileged position to be in it, to be able to afford that. So if I could afford it and I needed it, I would consider it around my early to mid thirties, potentially. Everyone's going to be different. And I think that the main thing is to, if you have any concerns, go and see a doctor, get this blood test and figure out what's going to be best for you. It's fascinating because I had this conversation with a lot of my friends around the time of you releasing that article and I was asking them what their thoughts were on egg freezing. And a lot of them were like, oh yeah, it makes sense. Like it's probably something that we should look into. Yeah. But then once showing them your article Mm -hmm. or having a more thorough look into what actually entails, a lot of them were like, oh. Yes. And was that something that was similar to your perspective? Oh, completely. I feel like it's something that we say in this day and age pretty flippantly because we're focusing on our careers and settling down a lot later. It's like, oh, I'll just freeze my eggs. But then when you start looking at the costs involved, we're talking about six to $15,000 per egg retrieval cycle. And you might need multiple of those. How many cycles would you need? Depends on your age. So if you're under 30, you might only need one cycle to retrieve um, 10 to 15 eggs, which is going to give you a 80% chance of a baby in the future. So you might go, yep, I'm happy with that. I've got my 15 eggs on ice. But then if you're over 35, getting towards 40, you might get just four or five eggs Per cycle, So you're going to through this multiple times, two or three or four times to end up with that golden and 10 to 15 eggs. $10,000 each cycle? Each time. Jesus. So 10, 20, $40,000 to end up with a number of eggs that are going to give you an 80% chance of a baby in the future. I actually interviewed a woman who did that. She was 40, I believe, and then realised that she had very low egg number. So she went through multiple cycles, ended up with, I think, 10 eggs but she actually ended up with a baby after that. So for her, it was all worth it. And that baby was through the process of IVF? Or yeah. Natural conception? She, well, she actually, yeah, she met a partner around the age of 41 after freezing her eggs a year earlier. And then they put the um, his sperm with her frozen eggs and they got a baby. That's amazing. Yeah. But that's also another cost there, right? Yeah. And then you have to go through the whole IVF process. Which so, isn't a smooth process as well. No, not at all. Lots of highs and lows, I'm told, in that journey. Still an invasive process, surgery, etc. Well, it all comes back to that idea around what is the cost of life, right? Mm. And to have a child. And I know people that do have children. It's like it's a priceless thing. And I think it's easy for us to say, particularly men, being like, oh, well, you know, the cost of life, yeah, I'd I'd pay anything for a child. Yeah. I don't actually have to live that directly around factoring in $10,000 time, invasive surgery, IVF. Yeah, it does feel a little bit unfair sometimes for women. If you want to have the career and the family too, that's potentially something you're looking at doing down down the line. But beyond that even, it's un, it's unfair sometimes for women, but this is also something that is only available to people with money because $10,000, even one cycle, not many people have $10,000 lying around, let alone $20,000, $30,000, and then your $500 annual storage fees. So I, actually one of the cameramen who was going to film this story for me said, it's really like survival of the richest, this, this mm. industry. And I thought, wow, yeah, maybe... So there is some evidence to suggest that the more wealthy people are having their children later in life and those who who might not have as great access to money are kind of having kids in their their late 20s. So it's almost like a safeguard that we've put in place against biology that if you haven't had children then you probably have more access to money. Yeah. And and then if you do have access to money, then you do have this option to then have children later in life. So I guess that's kind of like a, there's a lot of assumptions being made there. And it's probably 
and often is not the case. Well, I think you, you nailed it there. Like what has come first is that the fact that a person has not had kids, which means they've got more money, more established career, or is it the other hand where a person's had kids, therefore they don't have the money, they don't have the career? Mm. And I think one of the other topics or questions or debates to come out of this, which is an important one, is how do we create workplaces that are more equal for women to continue their careers and not have to tap out of the career trajectory that they had going and make a decision about whether they want a family or their career. You should be able to have both. So, Well, like one of the larger questions is why is it always the women's expectation that they will take care of that children in the early developmental years? Exactly. So like we could change, when I say we, I'm thinking of society as a Mm. whole as if I have some sort of godlike role, but... (laughs) I mean, workplaces could change so that women can be more flexible with their working arrangements. But when will society's expectations change that men have that 50 or more percent split of their caring role? Yeah, it's a a big, important question because most people won't be able to afford egg freezing, I don't think. Mm. The only other comment that I had to say about the cost is there must be a lot of thoughts going through a person's head when they're deciding to egg freeze because they're probably considering that between, you know, 30 and 35 on average. And the amount of money that we're talking about between 10 and $50,000 is the equivalent to, say, a, a deposit on a home mm. that you want to live in. And so when you're thinking about planning for your future and thinking about buying perhaps your first home and using that money towards a deposit and using the same quantity of money, the same sum to freeze your eggs, both of those options are going to be planning for your future, but you probably only have enough money for one of them. So you need to decide if you're going to create that nice, stable environment, mm. that home, and then maybe go and look at having a family, or if you want to do the, the, re- the reverse of that, go for the family first and then start working on the deposit for the home. It's quite a, a fascinating um, decision yeah, to make. Yeah, totally. Of a, bit of a Sophie's choice. <laughs> and for, for young single women, these costs are falling all on them individually. So one of the women I interviewed was like, it does feel pretty unfair sometimes because why is it single women that are having to stump up these costs? They haven't met someone yet, but that's a lot of money to basically like keep the population growing because Mm. you want to be able to keep producing babies. Yeah. I just can't get my head around that for me as a straight male, it's not something that I'll ever have to factor in. And it's just... Lucky you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I keep reflecting on the interview you did with that young lady who was in her early 20s. Yeah, 24. Were you able to attain what had sort of sparked her or what sort of pushed her into considering this area? Because I know asking a lot of my friends in their early 20s, they're like, oh, that's not something that's ever. Yeah. I think she was quite a unique individual. I don't think that she'd be in the majority at all. Uh, She was a 24-year-old medical student. So maybe in the first instance, like a a real awareness of her biology and, and an understanding that the next few years were going to be pretty career focused. For her, it was just, it just made sense. She said like this, having a family is what's most important to me. So if I have this money here and I can put it towards something that's going to hopefully help my chances of maybe having that baby in the future, then that's a good, good thing to spend my money on. Yeah. Fascinating. Cause there's also that other side where uh, particularly on TikTok, there's a lot of ads or there's a lot of almost trending videos now around people contemplating or discussing egg freezing. Particularly in America, there's this lens around advertising that targets that particular generation. Mm. And with the profiteering of the medical industry there, there's a lot of doctors that are pushing this sort of agenda that they have. 
Yeah, that's quite concerning, I think, especially for people in their early 20s, because there wasn't a single doctor I spoke to that said that that was a good idea, that someone in their early 20s should go and freeze their eggs. Her doctor I spoke to, and that doctor actually advised her against doing it. She decided she wanted to anyway, which is fine. That's her choice. But it was not recommended from any of the doctors I spoke to. Maybe something to start thinking about in your late 20s at the very earliest, more like early 30s. Mm. Not recommended because of the financial cost or were there? Yeah, because for multiple reasons. It's not recommended because it's going to cost you a lot of money. You're unlikely to ever go back to use them because you'll probably just meet someone and have a child that way. There's a heightened risk of ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome the younger you do take these hormone drugs. So given the cost, the risks, no guarantees, and you're unlikely to ever use them, why would you do it? Yeah. I mean, it opens up a very interesting conversation around the autonomy of women to their bodies yeah. and their access to their, their own fertility, but also the way they choose to use their bodies and yeah. and experience their their fertility and, yeah. and all those things, which is, I think, um, when we think about it, looking at, you know, a state like America through an Australian lens of our own values, we we tend to run away from whatever they do mm. in, in, in that sphere because they are legislating against a woman having access to her body. So I feel like our natural thought is to just run in the opposite direction and say more autonomy is better. It always is. And it's true, it probably is, but what you're saying is that there are risks to consider. There are other factors to consider. Yeah, and I think as long as the person is fully informed of all of those risks versus benefits, they should be allowed to make their own decision. And that's what her doctor said to me. I was like, well, why market it to people in their early 20s if you're saying it's not a very good idea? And she said, I'm not going to tell a woman what she can do with her body kind of thing. And so this girl, Anna, she was like, for me, I've weighed all of this up. I'm aware of the risks. I'm aware of the costs and I want to do it. And it's like, okay, do it. Rhi, can you tell us what the actual process is for harvesting eggs? Yes. So it's it starts the same way IVF starts. So a woman is... Uh, has to self-inject hormones. That's like a needle that you give yourself over a number of days. I think it's like 10 days. You'll have to check me on that. And then that's in the lead up, that stimulates the ovaries in the lead up to a like a day surgery, which is where the doctor extracts a number of eggs. It'll depend on various factors, how many eggs they extract, but um, you're looking for hopefully like 10 to 15 to give you an uh, 80% chance of a baby in the future. That's if you're under 35. Then those eggs go on ice for however long you need them on ice. I think there's actually a limit. Most um, IVF clinics will like keep them in storage for, I think it might be like five years, 10 years. And you have to pay an annual storage fee of around $500. And when the eggs are frozen, is there like um, an efficacy around that, the maintenance of... uh, To keep them like pristine or... Yeah, (laughs) like, because I imagine over time they'd probably decrease in their... No, I don't think they do. No? I think that the, the day you take them out that's the, and you freeze them, that's keeping them exactly as they were when they were extracted. Is that right? Is that your understanding? I, I don't have any knowledge around that, but I do have knowledge around the quality of when you actually fertilise them with the embryo. Mm. Have you heard about that? Really? No. So um, when there's that process of fertilisation, I don't exactly know the specifics of it, mm. but once you have the embryo and then they can also freeze the embryo, right? And they put that state. Yes, yes. And they freeze exactly, the embryo. Yeah. They give it like a score, basically. I know that they tell you these are really good quality embryos. These are average quality. And then there's something 
underneath uh, there. Okay, yeah, that's not the case with eggs. Not the so case you with don't eggs. Know, okay. You don't know when they extract them what quality they are. Oh, and that's, I see. that's a whole other thing. Like that's so another they, gamble. So you could be, you know, you could be freezing, um, let's say, 10 eggs, but they could all be of a medium or low quality, yep. but you yeah, don't know. Yeah. I don't know how they do that investigation once they've got to that embryonic stage. Mm. But um, I, yeah, as I said, I had a friend that went through the process and I think she ended up having about like 10 embryos and she was told that these three, these are the good quality ones okay. and those are the, the ones that she, she tried to use. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, right, because with IVF, they inseminate quite a few yep. and then over time they track them and see which ones are the best. Mm -hmm. But if you're only putting out 10 to 15 eggs, mm -hmm. it's not a big sample size. No, and, yeah, you don't know what the quality is. You obviously can sort of gauge based on a woman's age. Like the older you get, the, the quality declines as well as the, the quantity. But you still don't know for sure. You could have, like, five great quality eggs or... 20 really low quality eggs mm. so you don't know until you get to that process that IVF process where you're putting them with the sperm. Yeah and once they start um, mold, not, the word isn't multiplying but when they go through those stages of embryonic development if you have 10 embryos I think by the time you go to implant them several of them can die in fact yeah. a lot of them do. Mm. Yeah. So if you've got 10 embryos that doesn't necessarily equate to 10 infant babies mm. at the end of the process. It, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure oh. what the stats are and I should probably stop talking about no, no, them because no. I'm not from <laughs> oh, I also am not a medical field. professional but that reminded me of this really in interesting ethical conundrum that's coming out of this egg freezing boom because you were talking about the embryos because there's like a huge number of people take taking this up but very few women are returning to use them we're ending up with this huge surplus of eggs in storage mm. and it's going to come to a point where women have to decide what they want to do with those eggs so do you donate them or do you destroy them I know it's a, like it's quite an ethical question when it comes to an embryo but do you, do you give it the same ethical consideration when it's an egg I yeah, know. I guess that, that that comes down to when do you think the delineation of life yeah, occurs? Yeah, exactly. Is it, the, well, is it that fusing of male and female? I would think yes. I feel like an egg, like women lose eggs every mm. month. Um, but that's going to be different for every woman as well. You might feel very uncomfortable like donating your genetic material to someone else. Mm. I would personally feel good about it. Like that can go to use somewhere else if I don't need them, but... Yeah, sure. What is the name of gendered, not gendered, is it organelles oh. or something? Like what's the name of the the chemical, the product, the protein that you produce in your gender? Oh. Is it zygomatic or something? I can't remember what the name is. Is it alleles or something? Mm. It's something like that. It's something genetic, but essentially you've got your sex organs and they produce your sex something. And those okay. two things combined then form life essentially. Okay. But individually they don't but they're still called something and that's what i'm trying oh, to think there's of. your biology lesson for the day Ray. yeah enlightened mm, yeah not really <laughs> um so that's actually a fascinating conversation in itself around the education of basically women's bodies reproductive system mm. i think the best thing to come out of your article is that people are educating themselves around an issue that is quite significant in society is there any resources or are there any places that women should go to educate themselves more around the process, the costs? Yes, I think any state health department information sources related to um, reproductive technology is the place to start. I wouldn't be looking for your answers... On TikTok? On TikTok or with any of the... IVF providers necessarily as a first point. Like 
go far and wide for your information, but just remember where people are looking to make money out of you as well. So I think, um, you know, state health, federal health uh, would be good information resources. I think Victoria has the best um, resources in this space. So go there and look at some of the success rates and the costs and those sorts of things and speak to a doctor. Mm. Or even your physician that you, you've been seeing for, for several years, because they're going to have that full picture, your yeah. medical background. Yep. And there might be some things that are some considerations that one woman have that another might not based Completely. on family history and, and other things like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Yep. Yep. It's going to be different for every individual. I don't think that there's any need to panic about your fertility in your 20s, but start having these conversations, start thinking about it, read up on it, seek some medical advice. Listen to this podcast, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> That's the number one one. Listen to three people who haven't go through the process, talk about the process. Especially two men as well telling <laughs> women how they should. But yeah. at least we're talking about it and hopefully that sparks more conversations. Well, I think it should be something that maybe they introduce in the curriculum as well, especially around women fertility and women's health. I think that'd be great because like I say, we sort of learn a lot about, um, you know, safe sex and how not to get pregnant at the beginning, but throwing it forward... What about how to get pregnant when you're ready? Mm. Everyone needs to get pregnant. <laughs> Done. Teaching it in school. Yeah. Mandate, mandated pregnancies. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Handmaid's Tale? <laughs> no. <laughs> Ray, was there anything else from your end? Thank you guys so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for teaching us about this very important topic. <laughs> <laughs>